0: episode 206 in loco parentis this is the aircast for the week of january 20 2013 from aircast.com, aircast.com. welcome to the aircast all right thanks for listening to the aircast I'm your host, Eric Larson, 206-339-3742, that listener feedback line. Apologies in advance for an extra long episode this week, Matt. I know your commute doesn't quite line up with this, but hit pause somewhere in the middle of it because I want to get the full presentation from a uh, local higher ed IT conference that we had last week entitled, In Loco Parentis, Our Children Are Growing Up. Hard to pronounce. you got to get the Our Children are growing up, which by the time I compress this into a really tiny mp3, you probably won't even hear the difference. That's, that's it. That's the bulk of this episode. I want to know what you think. Um, we're going to roll that in. I have removed the Q&A from the end because while I have the right to record myself, because I myself can give permission to myself for that, um, I did not get any sort of permission or rights to record the people who uh, were in the really lively and interesting uh, and very, very helpful audience participation at the end. So if you weren't there, you miss out on that. But uh, other than hearing that gap at the end, this is the presentation. This is what it sounded like. So um, give me some feedback on it. This will tell you a whole lot more about uh, what I do and what I think about what I do. And I'll just uh, head right into it. You know where to go, 206-339-3742, uh, ericast.com, E-R-I-C-A-S-T dot com. The slide deck is at emlarson.com slash gustay, so it's E-M-L-A-R-S-O-N dot com slash G-U-S-D-A-Y. That's the name of this conference, this is Gustay. Yeah, let me know what you think, and here you go. In local parentis, our children are growing up. Today's session, what are the session goals? Worst case, I'm hoping that you come out of this thinking, okay, that was interesting, I really haven't thought about that before. And then my ideal is for you to say, that was interesting, I really haven't thought about that before. And anything beyond that, it's up for you to decide. Uh, but that's sort of what I'm aiming for. I've decided that in my career, fundamentally, I support learning. If you've got to sum your career up in two words, that's me. I support learning. And for 2013, I've decided that cultivating curiosity is the most important part of supporting learning. So my goal in my faculty and in all of you today is just kind of plant a seed or two and see what we, can, uh, what we can think about. So never begin your session with an apology, but rules are meant to be broken. So we are talking in a family context, and so I just have to say, kind of the elephant in the room is we all have family issues somewhere, background issue pain, something uncomfortable, I apologize in advance that somewhere, as we're talking about, someone's going to pinch you the wrong way. If I knew exactly what it was, I'd probably avoid saying it, but I also know that whatever is said for someone else in the room, with this many people, someone's going to say that was brilliant and life-changing. Maybe not quite, but um, so apologies if you're like, oh, I wish you weren't talking so much about fill-in-the-blank, sorry, but uh, it's in there. So who am I? Eric Larson, University of St. Thomas. Nice to meet all of you. Um, I'm an academic technology consultant. means I kind of do faculty helpful stuff. I've um, been here for a long, long time. It gets longer every year that goes by. I'm um, doing a bunch of stuff. And if you want the deck, it's at amlarson.com slash gustay. Top link on that page. Uh, if you can get to it now, that's great. Otherwise, grab it later. All the slides, all the speaker notes and things, you are more than welcome to look through that. So depending on your note-taking Personality. Um, also, which is a little bit relevant for this presentation, I'm 39 years old, was married in 98, I have two daughters, I live in Egan, I like cats and long walks on the beach. Uh, I do, but um, we're using this family personal metaphor thing, so indulge me in the, in the <coughs> beginning, we're going to talk a whole lot about family stuff. Now, in loco parentis, does not mean the crazy parent. Um, It did, however, get me bonus points for working in Latin and a colon into my presentation title. It is the term, technically a legal term, for functioning in the place of a parent. Some sort of parental type role, usually institutional or such. Here's my thesis. That's us. If you are doing some sort of customer service of any kind, particularly technology support with your faculty or staff, maybe students, it's even line of sight is a little bit clearer there, but with your faculty or staff, we are actually parenting our clients Hmm. so what does that actually mean well that would mean that we in a technology context at least perhaps other ways are benevolent and beneficial guides to our increasingly autonomous clients that's the day and age we live in hopefully we are not out spanking toddlers usually we're not we might on occasion but that should not be the norm Um, I'm going to argue that IT is about risk management Our CIO says that, so I think I'm safe in asserting that because he does. so. Um, Fair enough. But, depending on the maturity of the risk taker, proper risk management looks very, very different. Um, So we can be intentional about being in the business of risk management, but what does that actually look like? For example, and we'll delve into this deeper, if your six-year-old is wandering around at midnight, you are probably an irresponsible parent. (laughs) If your 26-year-old, who is still your child... Same legal familial biological structure is wandering around at midnight that's probably not a problem um, so are your clients 6 year olds or 26 year olds or somewhere in between I would argue if nothing else they're getting older they are probably not regressing so how on earth did I think about this well you heard Thomas Gannion, um so I can blame Tom because uh, he was the one that I was talking with at the end of a long day out in our parking lot after a cloud computing meeting And we were sort of good-naturedly fretting over, okay, we've got these clients and we really can't stop them from going out. And what if they put their stuff in Dropbox and they forget that it doesn't copy, it actually moves and they delete it? And do we have to train them on that or not? And we realized that our job is changing. The nature of the work that we're doing is changing because as our clients get more autonomous, just like as your children grow and start to leave the nest and do things, you're still a parent but you have to change how you parent them and how you help them. So how do we help our clients use and explore cloud solutions or whatever other technology term you want to plug into here wisely in an environment that we can no longer control? So what I warn you of is that this is a metaphor. Metaphor, 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 metaphor. We are not our client's parents. No. Um, But the goal is to just tweak your thinking a little bit and think, huh, I haven't really thought of that as a metaphor. I wonder if that works. Maybe it's a simile. Now I'm pondering that. Well, we'll call it metaphor. Um, I don't know how far we can push it. We will have time at the end for conversation, so speak up and, um, and see what you come with. And then when it doesn't work, or if you think this is just stupid, then drop it. Uh, but I think it might be kind of interesting. Okay? So, um, examples. Personal context. Last, um, last GUS day I was presenting, was 2006, and I opened my presentations with a qualifier, a qualifier. And my qualifier was that I had a two-year-old at home. And I was used to getting confused looks from my two-year-old. So <laughs> no. I have no problem with questions during the presentation. Feel free go ahead and ask, which is still true today. However, my two-year-old has grown just a little bit. And my two-year-old is Candela, right there. So that is our family as of this summer. Um, Then there's me, my wife Ruth, daughter Chloe. Candela is still capable of giving confused and strange looks, but fundamentally our family is sort of growing up. So let me talk about Chloe. You mentioned the six-year-old Chloe is six. Chloe was uh, born with what's called a unilateral cleft lip and palate, which means that when she was about the size of a walnut inside of Ruth, something didn't quite form quite right, so she's got a few extra holes in her that need to be fixed over the years. So she's doing great. Love her a lot. That was Christmas. She was happy. We have a rule in our house, because Candela got her ears pierced when she was six. And we have told Chloe, at least I have told Chloe, and yes, this is how we roll in our family, you may not get any new holes in your head until all the current holes in your head are fixed. And she's good with that. Okay, so let's say she decides, Danny, I'm getting my tongue pierced. Pick an example, which I hope is a little bit extreme. At age six, my response to her will be, no, you're not. And if she says that I'm just going to get my bike and I'm going to go down the piercing salon, I'm going to laugh a lot at that. And then we're going to have a loving, supportive conversation, but she's not getting her tongue pierced. Now, when she's 16 and she wants to get her tongue pierced, I'm going to say, no, you're not. she could, however, Kendall will be over 18. She could just grab Kendall's driver's license. They might look close enough alike and she could go down there to herself and get her tongue pierced. So what am I going to do? Well, I will start with wrath and work up from there. Um, I don't quite know what my reaction would be, but it would be bad. Still loving, supportive conversation. But she could go out and do it. Okay, when she's 26 and says, Daddy, I'm getting my tongue Father, I'm getting my tongue pierced. Um, I will say, well, that's your decision. Let's talk about that. You can do that if you want. Let's talk. I've got no moral objections. Let's talk hygiene, convenience, whatever. Um, what's her, I don't know what her action is going to be because she's going to be an adult and she can decide what she wants to do. Um, hopefully by then we will have had a respectful relationship that she will come to me in this conversation. Um, and whatever it will be, it will be loving and supportive and we'll talk to it and that's fine. Since she's 26, she can do what she wants. Okay? So, fascinating. What does that actually get us to? Well, we're talking about relationship dynamics in all customer service, all of our client support. Some things don't change, like having supportive conversations, and some things really do. The tone of the conversation you're having, the power differential, the freedom that people have, really, really different. And I'm just going to make a guess that if I treat my 26-year-old like a 6-year-old, that is not going to go well because I can't, I can't really stop her even if I wanted to. Okay, so what kind of kids do we have in our technology support roles? And... Even having the conversation gets really, really difficult because whatever we're parenting, if you think about parenting or you think about technology support, is very different from what we grew up with. You know, I was the VIC-20 guy, got the VIC modem as a Christmas present, so I was dialing into those BBSs. So my girls, just table stakes in the game of growing up, is they're on the iPad, on the Internet, can connect to whoever they want, wherever they want to. That's really, really different. Um, If you don't think that's really different, you're wrong. That's really different. So our parenting models are different from what we experience, both in terms of parents and kids, but in terms of our technology support. The way that we kind of got through our undergrad days is really different from the way the undergrads at our institutions are getting through their undergrad days. The way our teachers taught us is just different from what they're dealing with when they teach with technology. So, totally different. Totally different environment. And even as a case in point, pick on our new incoming faculty. I knew I was old when the new faculty with their PhDs were younger than I am. Um, They have never worked in a world where a free open internet on the desktop, everywhere you go, just, it's just there. They just, that's what... Of course, that's the reality. That's the way things Are Well, they weren't always that way, but they are now. So we have to remember that as we delve into this. Okay, so as we talk about control and talk about our six-year-old clients and things, you might say, well, come on, Eric. Did IT ever really have control? And I remember those days. It's like sometimes it felt like we didn't, but really, to be honest, we did, or at least we could really strongly nudge. If I didn't give you the webcam drivers on the floppy disk for you to try and install it under Windows NT and blue screen your machine, you wouldn't have a webcam to install because I'm the one that has the drivers from the vendors, so there you go. Uh, it's, it's different now. And most often, we find ourselves, if not saying, at least thinking, well, I can't stop you from doing that. Nature of the relationship changes. Power shift. So, how do we feel about that? And we'll bring this back up in Q&A in just a few minutes. Are we the helicopter parents? they're worried that they're, well I see you're using Dropbox are you, are you remembering that it doesn't actually copy so you have to make sure you have that someplace too and don't just drive. <laughs> if we are why are we that way because we're good and benevolent and want to see wonderful things happen or because we know that if they throw something in Dropbox at home bring it to work get rid of it because they think it's still home and it finds it gone we're going to be getting the call and they're going to be doing the equivalent of sleeping on our couch as a boomerang kid saying I tried Dropbox and it didn't work and now I know nothing help me um, how do we negotiate that change in dynamic? So, what's our trend? How are things moving and changing? Well, I can tell you overall, but you might say, wait, wait. Should we or can we even talk about our clients in some notion of groups or populations or trends? Because remember, everyone is individual. It's like snowflakes. <laughs> they're, they're all unique, And so can we really talk about the faculty or the administration or students these days? Well, I don't like any of those terms because I agree there is no such thing as the faculty. They're all individuals and they're all doing different things. However, we can say that while each snowflake is unique and pretty, it is water at some point below freezing. We know that. So yes, I would argue yes indeed we can talk about our clients in terms of groups and populations. And we can either talk about society and kids these days or whatever, or we can talk about our institution. We can talk about our particular department. I'd be the first person to say that different schools, different groups of faculty are going to engage differently or be different. But we can still talk about those populations, maybe our service department versus someone else's. Um, when done cautiously, I think it's a very valuable exercise. So what is the trend? Here's a subthesis that the increasing technology autonomy of our clients parallels the structural changes that we've seen in our IT organizations. And I have no idea what that's going to look like in the next 5 or 10 or 15 years. I don't know what my job is going to look like when the girls are ready for college. I hope I have one, because I am my daughter's college savings plan. That's that's all I got. Um, But at least we can kind of reflect on where we've come and where we're going to go. So you're all familiar with this sort of notion. You have decentralized computing, you move to a centralized model, and then it becomes a distributed model. Is that somewhat familiar? I see some nods, great, and we tend to say, okay, it moves in a trend, that's great. And then some people would say, well, wait a minute, then it could really kind of loop back. And then you might say, well, you could skip the centralized model and go straight to distributed. But I'm going to say, let's just go with this, That that's kind of the direction that things have gone in the past 10, 15 years, that there were separate IT departments in a school, kind of did their own thing. Um, Then that was sort of pulled in, and then we're doing better at getting some sort of, Representation from centralized places pushed further out. Okay, so maybe you pine for the good old days of that decentralized. This was like the freedom of autonomous, independent apartment living of our grown-up kids, or whatever. But I'm going to argue maybe it's more like the orphanage of we just, you know, in the 90s we just kind of flung people out there and said, well, here's a budget, you can buy a computer and try to set up your network. Good luck. Um, I think at least around here I would argue it was it was it was more like that. So you have your orphanage model to some sort of centralized computing thing where we really need to kind of wrap people, people in. Uh, that would be more your infancy or childhood stage. Um, and then distributed, you're into the adolescence and beyond where you tell people, okay, we, we're not providing you everything. We can help facilitate. We talk, um, you know, how much longer are we going providing, to be providing centralized uh, storage space? when Google Drive or whatever Microsoft's calling it this week or Dropbox or Box, they're all out there. Use those. Some people have made that move, some haven't. Okay, let's think about that. Um, I kind of wonder if there is another stage, sort of a parenting metaphor, where at the decentralized stage, it's just sort of indifferent and saying, well, if you want to run the server under your desk, fine, okay. Um, Centralized becomes more authoritarian. Hopefully, in distributed, we're being more collaborative. So we can say, "What needs do you have in your department? And let us work with you." From central IT, that would be what we'd like to achieve. Um, is there a final stage where it kind of loops back and you get to um, a re-decentralized model that becomes that healthy autonomy? I don't, I don't know if that's. Out, I mean, I don't. I'd love to to know what you think is next. Have we have we reached? the pinnacle of existence with a distributed centralized IT works with individual departments it's collaborative we all hug at the end of the day and it's good or is there something else that we're going to be coming to I just I don't know I'd, I'd love to know so how do we think through all these things well this is the let's just throw an idea or two out there um, if you want to research parenting styles um, this was from the research research uh, source of Wikipedia but uh You know, it's amazing when you start thinking, okay, so is there this little matrix of being responsive versus unresponsive and demanding and undemanding? And Huh, so do I want to be a good authoritative academic technology consultant? That's really interesting. All right, and then you say, wait a minute, demanding? There's a column called demanding? What kind of client service person are you? Um, I think, I would boldly assert, we need to have... Robust, respectful relationships with our clients so that we can demand excellence and appropriate technology competence from them. If it's inappropriate technology competence, you're back to just shoving them out of the nest and saying, You're on your own with that, I can't help you. But if we're good in our jobs, don't we have a responsibility to help people become more self sufficient, uh, more deeply adequate? I would say so. Um, But how's that going to go over at your institution? When you come back and say, I was at this conference and there was this guy and he seemed a little hyper, but he told me that I really shouldn't be helping you as much as I am. It's like, wait, okay, not quite. But um, maybe, maybe that's what some of your clients need if you need to help them grow into something where they can function on their own. Wow, is that going to work? Does that fit with your charter or not? Um, And I would argue if we're in a business of risk management, what kind of risk do we face if we don't demand that, if we don't say, I can't back all your stuff up everywhere centrally through telekinesis to know what's important to you, you've got to be responsible for using these backup solutions that are here. Let me let me help you work through them, but that's really got to be your responsibility. Um, is that the right way to go or not? Hmm. All right. So how ought we treat our clients, which is kind of like saying how ought you treat your children? Treat them well. Be a good parent. That doesn't really help um, because those answers might be simple, but they're not easy. However, thinking of our clients as growing people who need to be guided and shepherded um, as opposed to, I don't know, frustrations, victims, um, paycheck providers, Those might all be true at times, but if you look at them as growing people who need to be guided and shepherded, that's an intentional mindset that sort of guides you whenever you step into a client interaction. Okay, what path do I want to put this person on? Where do we want to go with it? And then you look around and pick up tips to reinforce that approach. So here are a couple examples. They're just examples um, (coughs) taken with several minutes of diligent Googling. But what I did is I said, okay, this is really interesting. So if this, if, this has a, if this idea has any legs to it, I should be able to just kind of look around, find parenting tips for teens or you know, helping your young adult become independent or whatever and see if there's anything I can glean from that that would help me support my faculty when I go into work tomorrow. Um, and so that's what I did. Uh, this was based on a how to send your kid off to college. I thought, okay, so how, about how to help your faculty members. So top eight. Uh, avoid asking if they 're homesick, which makes total sense for college students. Well, for us, we occasionally have people who 've come from other institutions and are sort of you know pining for Harvard or whatever. Um, context is good and it 's good to know where they came from it 's good to have that discussion, but you 're not at harvard anymore you 're here. For good or for bad, for better or for worse, we do some things better, some things not as well. Let's talk about where you're at now and what we can do. Um, you might not be that brusque with them, but that really is kind of what you're what you're doing. Um, tip two is write, even if they don't write back. That's actually really useful. The little, you send a little email that says, hey, is everything going okay with the such and such project? And you don't hear back. Was that a failure? Do they not like you? No, because I would argue that the receiving that email from you actually does do something to build that relationship. Huh, that's good. Ask questions, but not too many. Expect change, but not too much. There you go. Um, don't worry too much about depressive phone calls or letters. That one's a little bit tough. Um, hindsight's always twenty-twenty. But what I find, teaching is hard. It is hard work. And your faculty around finals time are going to be busy and stressed. And that kind of comes with the territory and they kind of know that and it doesn't mean that it doesn't leak out with some of their engagements and interactions. Um, but as long as we can get tab A and slot B and get their problem fixed, if they were really like fussy and cranky about it because their grades are due tomorrow or whatever, I'm not going to freak out over some crisis with the relationship with the whatever department. Well... Let's let, let's let the dust on finals settle and then we'll check back in and it's probably okay. So yeah, I can take that as a piece of advice. There you go. Um, visit, but not too often. It's good to pop your head in the office every once in a while. Um, do that too much and with the right kind of people they start to get kind of annoyed. Okay, that's great. Uh, do not say these are the best years of your life. Um, call me crazy, but sometimes I face that temptation. Again, it's a feeling. I'm smart enough not to say it. But when someone complains, you know, oh, the wireless network is so bad in the corner of that basement of that building, it's like, you know, if you were here three years ago, we didn't have wireless in that part of campus, so you know, it'll, it'll get there. Just Think it. Don't say it. Um, don't say stuff like that. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, trust them. Should I ask for the show of hands on who has trouble trusting their clients? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's. I'll be working on that one. Um, but really, that's probably a good place to start. Unless you really have good evidence that they're not trustworthy in something, eh, start by trusting. Okay. Now those are just tips by like, okay, can we replace the word teenager with the word faculty. It's like, wow, you actually kind of can. Um, here's an aside, though I think once it becomes a slide in the deck, it's not an mm-hmm. aside anymore, but um, a colleague of mine was talking about um, relationship building and trust capital. I thought that's a great term, so that's a, that's a free bonus for today. Um, spend time building trust capital with your clients, um, and then be intentional about where you spend it. Uh, is this really the time to say you idiot you should have backed that file up? Like, well you could. And they probably were an idiot for not backing their dissertation up. Okay, but really probably not a teachable moment, etc. I'd be burning a lot of trust capital. Maybe we just smile and nod and send their hard drive to Entree. <coughs> that's think of think about that. So be intentional in that world. Um, relationships are built over time. Unfortunately they can be broken really easily, but that's not a period, that's a comma, because they can be rebuilt. Um, you can, you can dig in and you can fix things if they get broken. Um, another one came up: Psychology Today. It's where psychology is found. Um, an article on parents envying their teens as their teens grow up. Not there yet, but I might have to check in with some of you when I get there. Um, notion of envy is what's given, or that they have greater opportunities, or that they have powers as the you know, teens are growing up. Um, from envy from divisive attachments. Is it divisive or divisive? Can we get away with divisive, or is that technically wrong? Divisive? I hear an I. So I'm going to go with I've heard it both ways. It I'm going to say <laughs> envy from divisive attachments. But uh, what we didn't do... What we didn't get is a good fight in the classroom about like, which, which way do we pronounce it? Uh, but like I see John standing at the door, John John's a John's, John's better ATC than Eric is, because when, you know, when I had this problem with, with iMovie, John helped me, and Eric just said that he uses a PC. instead of a Mac. So I like John better. Oh yeah, John, well, I, I use a PC because I do. And, so that, and all of a sudden, huh? Um, so this is all like the family strife you can have when raising a teenager. All right, And I'm looking at that thinking, I could actually, given a couple minutes, I could start thinking, wow, I can see that in some of my faculty relationships as they, as they have started to adopt technology or steer away from it. That's fascinating. You've got to kind of squint and use your imagination, but I, wow, this actually kind of makes sense. Hmm. So, homework is to go out and do that kind of thing. It's just you know, skim through them. Um, go to Google or search engine of choice. What a Bing I heard Bing I, that was out loud um, InfoSeek is really the one that I like to uh, um, Metacrawler was best though because it was the search engine of search engines. What other example do we examples do we have of helping our clients to navigate an expanding universe of options? See, notice that, okay, yeah, maybe it's a smidge of hyperbole and a little bit over-enthused, but all the stuff that we talk about, like kids in their world of opportunity, and they're going off to college, they can do all these things. Okay, I'm going to say that's not that hard to argue what our faculty and staff and students have at our campuses. Think of what our network can do. Think of how far you can push our LMS. Think of what's available to you. Uh, The language is the same, and the psychology is very similar. So, hmm, maybe that'll work as a metaphor. So are there any practical next steps we can take? That would be a really useful thing to dig into. Discussion. We have 15 minutes. No, you may not go to lunch early, so you're trapped. <laughs> <laughs> um, two, and then a third of what else? Um, how does your organization, and take that as your college or university, your support division, your overall technology division, um, your particular department, your client services department, user services, whatever you call it, what do you think good service is? Um, And then, does today's assertion from the weird guy up front that you're operating in loco parentis and trying to parent your client children along support your current mindset in your organization or does it challenge it? Why or why not, I suppose I should add. Um, If this presentation fell into the hands of your clients, uh-oh, uh-oh, how would they receive it? So on two extremes, they might say, wow, that's great. Someone finally gets it. He's brilliant. What an excellent metaphor. I am so glad you finally get that. You're supposed to be partnering with me and helping me. I'm growing up. Woo, let's grow and learn together. Or you could think, how dare you consider yourself parental that you're a service organization. Your job is to do what I ask, what I ask, it, and that's it. No more, no less. Just... Serve my needs, and we're done. Um, where, where would your client base be? And then anything else that you think. Good, bad, or indifferent. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and treating your six-year-old like a 16-year-old in the hope of hurrying that along is going to make it worse. You have to treat your six-year-old as the best six-year-old that, that he or she can be and engage at that level, which is not... Dismissive. Oh, so you're saying faculty are like 6 year I love my six-year-old, and I love my nine-year-old, and they're very different. And when they're in their teens and 20s, I will love them where they are and for what they are. So, yeah, to be able to celebrate our clients and whatever, whatever their interests are and their priorities, that's great. Let me help you be the best sociologist who doesn't like our LMS that you can be because you will naturally <laughs> progress into whatever the, the next right thing is for you. All right. Any other pressing questions? I can let you out to lunch like a minute early, and you can you can hurry there and get there first before all the selfish people. Um, Thank you very much. If I can get my last slide, there you go. That's where you find me. Enjoy lunch and the rest of the conference. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Ericast from Ericast.com. Visit us at www.ericast.com.